to the Retail Transformation Show with me, Oliver Banks. This is your weekly podcast, delivering you the insight, ideas, and inspiration to successfully change and transform in our ever-evolving world of retail. Enjoy listening. Hi there, welcome to the Retail Transformation Show. My name is Oliver Banks. I'm your host, and I'm a retail transformation specialist. I work as a consultant and an advisor, supporting large retailers and working hand in hand to drive their transformation initiatives forward, tackling complex challenges, assessing all of the options and making change happen. Thank you so much for tuning in today. This one is episode 228, number 228. I'm sure you will have noticed that the retail market has been exposed to a number of challenging events over the last few years, and consumers are no different. And these events have resulted in a number of different shifts for consumer habits and consumer behaviours. And so in today's episode, I want to zoom into how those changes, those evolving habits are impacting retailers and what you can do about it. So I'm delighted to welcome Lindsay Mazza, who is the global retail lead at Capgemini. Lindsay is a retail thought leader and subject matter expert specializing in customer-centric omni-channel commerce and innovation. With more than 20 years of experience in retail supply chains, she leads client digital transformation in analytics-enabled integrated planning and implementation and works across the retail industry. She's developed integrated category merchandise planning and assortment planning processes to support the broader strategy of any given company. And Capgemini, I'm sure you're familiar with a global leader in partnering with companies to transform and manage their business through the power of technology. And with more than 360,000 team members in more than 50 countries, they've got deep expertise and heritage. The show notes for today's episode are over at obandco.uk slash 228, where you can sign up for the Retail Transformation Briefing, which is my weekly email newsletter exploring the key developments, trends and headlines from around the world of retail transformation. New insights, new trials, new innovations, new ideas. Sign up for free at obandco.uk slash 228. Now, without further ado, let's jump into my conversation with Capgemini's Lindsay Mazza. Here we go. Welcome, Lindsay Mazza, to the Retail Transformation Show. Thank you so much for joining us today. How are you? I'm so well, Oliver. Thank you for having me. It's my pleasure to join you. Well, I'm really excited. We're talking about some really big key themes and big topics of conversation that will inevitably be top of mind for many retailers right now. And really all inspired by Capgemini Research Institute's recent annual trends report entitled What Matters to Today's Consumer. Tell us, Lindsay, what did you discover in the report? Thank you so much, Oliver, for inviting me to be here. The Capgemini Research Institute has just released our second annual trends report, and there is an incredible plethora of data and information that allowed us to really know more about the consumer. This is a broad survey 
We analyzed the data from 11,000 consumers over 11 countries of all demographics, ages, socioeconomic backgrounds, um, education levels, job types, really you name it, across the board, a very broad spectrum of consumers. And what we learned is that on the whole, consumers are very challenged by the current economic times that we're in. And they're expecting to make some financial sacrifices in the next several years. And they're anticipating that retailers are going to help them through those times. So the biggest things we found are that the consumer demands lower prices, but they demand higher quality products, more sustainable products, products that are fair trade and socially just all at the same time. And so we know as retailers that we will need to make some adjustments to our cost structure, the way that we do business, the products that we bring to market, and the channels by which we engage and interact with consumers as a result of the new consumer demands that we found through this study. That's really interesting. And the consumer or the customer is absolutely wanting the best of everything as as they rightfully deserve. But what's quite interesting, if we rewind back to pandemic years, to me, it certainly felt like consumers were a lot more forgiving of retailers, for example, around availability. But now, as the pandemic has has subsided and we're into now the cost of living crisis, which, of course, is, is challenging consumers in a whole different way, they're actually stepping up to be arguably more demanding than they were pre-pandemic, in my view. What's What are your thoughts? Well, it's interesting that you are, you know, measure time in the pandemic. Yeah. I think that we've been through a tremendous shift in our global consumerism throughout the last three years. And, you know, I think pandemic is one of those factors. So we have, of course, a global pandemic that changed the way that consumers shopped, that, you know, changed the dynamic of percent of shoppers in stores versus percent of shoppers that shop through digital channels. But we also have other factors that are happening out there right now. Mm. We have, you know, a tremendous uh, market disruptors that are taking place. We have a, a tremendous labor crisis. We have both labor shortage as well as a cost of labor increase that's taken place. From a retail perspective, we're also looking at an energy transition. So not only is the cost of energy significantly greater for stores to be able to operate, but for warehouses, distribution centers, fulfillment centers, you name it, really, even the the cost of transportation has increased. In addition to those cost increases, we have the cost of commodities that has increased because of lack of material, raw material availability, uh, lack of goods availability, more difficulty in shipping, a forced move to more localized uh, supplier networks versus global supplier networks that we had once had. So, you know, when we uh, we have war that's happening. We have a geopolitical crisis in in Ukraine and Russia, which have caused significant store closures in those regions, as well as inavailability of goods from those regions. We, had, you know, Ukraine, mm. third largest provider of wheat in the world, pre this geopolitical conflict and crisis that we're in right now, now unable to secure wheat from from Ukraine. So we see that with plastic solvents, you know, you name it. So when we talk consumer demands, I think more broadly in the picture of the tremendous market disruption that's happening in addition to pandemic times. So we did have a consumer that was willing to band together for a short period of time and say, hey, sustainability and social justice and fair trade, those are king. I'll pay whatever it takes. I'm accepting um, substitutions on my order because I understand that there's people that are working in in unhealthy circumstances, Mm. in challenging environments, and I'm going to take what I can get at that point. 
I think you're absolutely right that the consumers moved on from those times and has an expectation that while they'll be accommodating, that they'll be more um, decisive about changing brands and changing retail locations and stores if they're unable to secure the product that they want. So that decision tree has switched at this point. Mm. But I think that that is the culmination of not only pandemic, but significant factors that are causing lack of material availability or stock overages in some circumstances. You know, we've kind of moved on from toilet paper and bottled water and (laughs) pasta, but now we're in drugs, right? We're we're looking at a shortage of children's antibiotics and how kids can't get the supply of medicine that they need during flu season and during these heavy seasons of change Mm. and and disruption for children in our environment. So yeah, I, I think there's a lack of consumer tolerance for the types of products that are going out of stock, but also for stock outages on standard products as well. Yeah. We've got vegetable crisis here in the UK at the moment. And like I say, it's it's resulted not from any one particular event, but a whole host of things. You know, again, for the UK, we've got pandemic hangovers. We've got Ukraine and Russia situation that provides challenges. We've still got Brexit, which is, of course, adding Brexit, elements right. in. So we've got this of sort of, you know, perfect storm, should we say, of multiple big macro challenges that ultimately proliferate down and create a, um, arguably a relatively micro issue that as consumers, we see every day and it feels slightly weird, right? That I can't buy You're tomatoes. You're so right, but there, there is so much that we can do about it. I mean, there, there's so much that we can do about being able to create those baskets. I, I think, you know, you're talking about vegetables, mm. we're talking about wheat. I think a lot of what we face in the market is this opportunity for us to bring food to people who mm. need it. And when we talk about not providing the particular item that someone wants, this changes a lifestyle, a uh, the life of a consumer, food in particular, and household essentials in particular are items that change what we're going to eat for dinner tonight, what I'm going to put on the table, what I'll feed my family this week, what's going in my child's lunchbox. And so if this kid eats only ham sandwiches and apple slices and the apples aren't available, that makes a big challenge in people's life. And so that that's why I think the retailers getting ahead of it with steps that they can take to transition and transform their organizations to be able to supply that inventory, to have access to it, and to get it to the consumer who wants it. And usually what's being demanded of them is an under two hour window at this point in time. Mm. That is the next level of what retailers can do. And, and it matters because you're changing what people eat every single day, what goes in their plate and in their lunch and at school and, you know, and, and, at practice and beyond for people's families. Yes, yeah, it's, a, it's a really interesting point. We'll certainly come back to what we can do about the future. But I'd like to rewind a couple of minutes. You were talking about the many, many different cost challenges that businesses are facing right now. Like you say, everything from utilities to raw materials to labour and so on. And with a cost challenge consumer as well, that is, as you say, from the research, wanting to pay less for the, the same goods. The obvious place to go to, right, that many companies will already be thinking about is how do we cut our costs, right? How do we manage to preserve our sales line, preserve our margin line and just come in at, at, at a lower cost to, to face off against these these financial challenges? What are you seeing in terms of the way that different retailers or any other company for that matter are approaching cost cutting at the moment, Lindsay? 
Excellent question, Oliver. It's no longer the cost cutting of yesteryear. I think we are not going to see a return to a, a full cost out model. What we're going to see is models for transforming operations that both reduced costs, bring greater sustainability, and create more immersive experiences for consumers. I really believe right now that a model of exclusively focusing on taking cost out is not going to achieve the success because consumers demand experiences at the same time that they demand lower costs. But a model of moving to creating sustainability that's affordable and leading with purpose in those charges of fair trade and social justice is going to be the new model. And the way that we achieve that is by transforming our operations by creating automation in our business processes. Mm. You know, we talked about labor costs and how that's increasing. So unfortunately, there's also been this shift of store labor doing the activities that consumers used to do, like picking and packing, especially in the foods and household essentials business. Well, where this is, is, is we can create automation for store employees in being able to do that role that helps get those more productive use of the labor, more strategic use of the labor that we have in stores. So we're taking cost out, but we're creating a new experience that's both useful to the consumer in reducing the amount of time it takes to get their order and also useful to the employee. So we're advocating for the employee, we're creating associate mobility, and we're also creating an improved and enhanced consumer experience at the same time while taking cost out due to those automations. And I think that's the trifecta, that's the win that's going to support retailers as they move into this new world of automation. On the other side of the coin, in the kind of outside of store processes, using other technologies like AI and machine learning um, in order to understand more about what the consumer is going to demand and when and where they're going to demand Mm. it will allow us to have access to getting the product that that particular consumer group is going to want in the location that's closest to them so that we can get it to them sooner. So again, just using these technological advancements in order to support the consumer in getting their need met in being able to fulfill the demand of the consumer, I think is going to be really helpful. So we'll see cost out because, for instance, in the demand area, if we're able to better plan the demand, we won't have to move that product as many times. We won't be shipping it from as far mm. away. And so, therefore, transportation costs go down, labor costs go down, holding inventory holding costs go down. And lots of, lots of classic uh, process waste in Lean Six Sigma terminology gets removed out, and that simplifies the whole financial model significantly. Absolutely right. Absolutely right. So so we're taking cost out, but we're creating an experience that's faster, better, more accessible to the consumer at the same time by understanding what their demand is. Incidentally, there's sustainability benefits to that as well. If I transport less goods and I hold less goods, I have less waste, product waste, food waste that happens in the end of that cycle. I use less carbon emissions for the transportation. So that's why I say I think that there's really going to be a triangle or a view of how do we create sustainability while taking cost out, while meeting consumer demands in a, an improved way. And that will be the new wave of how we take cost out for 2023 and beyond. Mm, that's really interesting. And I think it starts to really shift the operating model for retailers to be more naturally lean, but also more agile as well, right? If you've got a better grasp of your data and AI can help analyze it and analyze then the future trends that are coming or forecasts and can adjust appropriately, then you can flex 
to adjust, which 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 makes a lot of sense. Let me just rewind because a lot of the solutions we've just been talking about are very tech heavy, whether it's robotics and enabling that sort of robotic picking, for example, picking out a particular process, but also then, you know, AI and sort of systems embedding, both of which can be expensive in terms of cash, whether it be capital to buy a fleet of robots or whatever, or even development resource to develop up these different systems and artificial intelligences. How are you seeing retailers in a a, a time where the finance model is being squeezed? How are you seeing retailers fund these sort of transformations? Well, Oliver, these are cost-squeezed times, and we're seeing margin being eroded everywhere we look. Often in the last mile, this is another area of margin erosion. And what we're seeing is that as we create volume drives towards different delivery and fulfillment models, we're seeing our ability to regenerate margin. And so I think that these opportunities, all of these programs are being paid for the regeneration of margin in our businesses. As we can create opportunity to drive additional volume through our channels and really unlock channel growth through some of the newer channels, we're seeing the ability to create margin. Those are then paying for these programs as we go forward. So a couple of quick examples Mm. that we've seen in the market very recently in 2022 and leading into 2023 already are where we are uh, becoming digital marketers. We are becoming businesses that really operate through very micro channels. Forrester's released a study recently that said that the average consumer has four devices on them at any wow. given moment <laughs> and that they shop through over five channels, shop through over five channels. Now, when we think about it, you know, I, I'm thinking about, okay, I go on my mobile, I go on my computer, I go to a store, those are my channels, but the plethora and proliferation of opportunities for point of sale between kiosks and metaverse and, you know, you name it, new opportunities for us to be able to be in the market. These are opportunities for increased margin. The more that we're able to drive volume through additional channels and keep the stores for the existing consumer group that shops there, the more that we're able to create margin, the more that we're able to pay for these programs. And what I really like about them is that it's no longer the big macro campaigns of moving to digital. They're very micro and localized. So the most tremendous success that we've seen have been through companies that have pinpointed a very strategic consumer set and said that we're going to use a micro influencer with you know maybe less than 20K followers and that that person is now responsible for bringing that strategic set of consumers wow. on. And the more hyper-local that they're able to get, the more segmented they're able to get about the particular generation or demographic that they're targeting, the more that they're able to capture results from those ma- those micro influencers. So it's no longer celebrity based. It's no longer these um, you know generated content that we're giving for everybody that's very masked. It's it's the age of personalization. It's the age of being very local, and it's an understanding of who the consumer specifically is that you want to be shopping. That's creating the additional use of new channel growth and that channel growth is contributing to margin. And so therefore, because I have the volume through there, I'm able to make the results. So to take the cost out, I use the channel growth that's taking place in other areas of the business. That makes sense. Let's play devil's advocate for a moment, Lindsay, because we're talking about channel growth. We're talking about managing to reduce costs and improve aspects like sustainability all at the same time which 
sounds fantastic. Of course, there are a few obstacles and challenges in the way. What do we need to be able to do to leverage these sort of opportunities? I think the first thing that we need to start from is a view of what what consumer are we trying to serve and how we plan to mm. serve them and what types of experiences that consumer demands from us. A real understanding of your consumer and the journey that they're on is what's going to help you be strategic about who to pick in order to serve them, where to serve them, and how you'll serve them for mm. the future. I, I see many retailers still trying to go after all consumers, right? We're a retailer for everyone. And whilst there are a handful, a small, very small handful that I think are probably big enough to be able to cater for that, and I'd even argue whether you could cater for the full spectrum, but there are many that still want to target all consumers and they don't want to niche down because it is a, a, a smaller customer group, right? And everyone needs to have, you know, whatever product, furniture or health and beauty or whatever. What are your thoughts? How do how do we focus in on a particular customer niche without chopping off half of the business? I actually think what's really relevant today is that we no longer have to make broad advertisements in one location that alienate other consumers. Right? <laughs> That's so true. The idea of being able to pick that strategic consumer means you're talking to them. You're talking to them with these micro-influencers and you can talk to a different segment of consumers with a different micro-influencer. That's what's so exciting and enticing about the new world that we're living in is that we aren't alienating the rest because we're not talking to them mm. at that moment. We're creating different messages for all of the segments of consumers that are shopping within our businesses and have access to our stores or our, our channels online. Yeah, and that involves some hard work to go about thinking about how do we target these different groups and what is relevant to each group rather than just going out with, as as you say, a sort of, a, should we say a traditional marketing message, whether it be a billboard or a TV ad that is blasting everyone with one particular promotion or one particular message. You're right about that, but we have more data today than we've ever had access yeah. to in the past. So we have the information in order to be able to target those groups. And as a result, if we know how to understand the data that we have, and if we know what we're doing and analyzing that data, we're able to create an understanding of mapping our products to specific consumer groups by, by knowing what the defining attribute that causes a consumer's propensity mm. to buy in a particular consumer segment. And I love the fact that data has sort of become the common table stakes that connects us all. We've created an ecosystem of data out there in the market where we have an intelligent network that includes consumers, includes retailers, CPGs or manufacturers, and suppliers. And we're no longer operating as one of those in a linear value chain, but now a network-based chain that really tells us we're getting data from different locations, we're collecting information from all places, and I'm able to pinpoint which characteristic of a product or which attribute of a product caused the buy within certain consumer segmentations. And that informs things like my product lifecycle management from ideation all the way through receipt of that demand by the consumer. So smart, isn't it? So incredible when you think about the opportunities. So if we rewind back to the annual consumer trends report and thinking about some of these shifts that we've been talking about, what should a, a retailer be thinking about as we go through 2023 into 2024 and beyond? 
I think that cost out is going to be king, but I think it's going to be transformational efficiency that matters the most. So how do we create and transform our operations in ways that take cost out, that create new experiences and deliver sustainable results? That is going to be 2023 for most retailers. In many ways, it's the continuation of what we've always strived for, right? You know, rewinding a few years, 2019 and before, we've still been looking for those elements, but I think it feels like just a tighter market now. Is that is that fair to say? That is a very fair point. It feels different this time. Uh, if we look back in the 2008 to 2010 timeframe, it felt like, how would we stay in business and create more margin for ourselves? And now it feels like, how will we reduced costs for consumers so that consumers can continue to buy products in this market. And that is a different feeling. And I feel I feel that there has been a transition and maybe caused by all of the disruption that's had in the industry. How do we create a new experience that makes us fulfill promises to consumers? That has been a change for us. And, and I think you feel that when you go to new conferences in retail, in consumer mm. products, that's the discussion areas. How do we make the world a better place? How do we create more healthy and sustainable lives? How do we deliver value to consumers? How do we give consumers price breaks on things that they need? That is the feel of retail in 2023. And it's a really positive place to be because we're providing food for people's tables. We're providing household essentials for consumers to clean their homes themselves and to be able to do what they need to do to live their lives. And it feels like there's been this network or this ecosystem of data sharing has allowed us all to be more human. The data has made us human and we're able to adapt to compete, unlock that channel growth and and lead with purpose as a result. That's so good. And I'm certainly more energized than ever before to help retail transform. I think the last few years have really shown the importance of retail in the biggest sense of the word to consumers. And yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm excited. I'm so excited about the future and what different opportunities exist for all sorts of different companies across all sorts of different categories. And Lindsay, I've, I've absolutely loved our session. There's so much we could continue to dive into. But I'd love to ask, how can people find out more about the report? How can people find out more about you and about Capgemini? Well, thank you so much, Oliver. It's, it's truly been my pleasure to join you. You have such a, a dynamic view of what's happening in the industry, and I've loved the conversation. I would love for your audience and, and the teams that are all listening to this to be able to check out Capgemini's research report at capgemini.com slash research. And I would also love you to join me on LinkedIn and get to know more about Capgemini and what we do in the retail space. Super. Well, I'll put those links on the show notes today. So do go and check that out. It's a fantastic report. And with over 11,000 people putting their thoughts into that report, it's got so many different insights on many different variables. So a well worthwhile read. Lindsay, thank you so much for joining me here on the show. It's been an absolute blast. Thank you, Oliver. A great conversation there with Capgemini's Lindsay Mazza. So many different important conversations and topics there. I hope you enjoyed it and I do hope that you enjoy reading the Consumer Trends Report that you can find on the show notes today at www.obandco.uk slash 228. I'd also like to highlight three episodes inspired by today's conversation that I think 
you'll enjoy. First up, in episode 225, it was great to catch up with experienced merchandiser Lisa Amlani, and we were talking about transforming ranging and curation. Also, in today's episode, we were, of course, talking about the many opportunities of deploying AI into retail organizations. And I was reminded of my conversation on a podcast with ChatGPT. That's right, ChatGPT was my guest on episode 223, an episode called AI and the Future of Retail. So you get to hear what ChatGPT sounds like. And finally, in episode 219, I was taking a look at my retail trends and themes for 2023. And many of those themes were reflected in today's conversation. So I'm sure you're going to enjoy listening to that episode as well. So three great episodes and plenty more that I could recommend. So do take a little scroll through the back library of the Retail Transformation Show. Many, many fantastic episodes. And you will find the links to those three episodes on today's show notes at obandco.uk slash 228. And remember to sign up for the Retail Transformation Briefing whilst you're over there. Thanks so much for tuning in today. If you have enjoyed today's episode, please do subscribe to the podcast for new episodes that come out every single week. And if you're a smarty pants and you've already done that, then do leave a review or perhaps tell a colleague instead. Thanks so much for listening. I'll look forward to joining you on another episode coming at you very, very soon. Bye for now.